This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients can earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to ask yourself, how much interest are you earning with your broker? Interactive Brokers Prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks, options, currencies, futures, funds, bonds, and more. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Memorial Day is here, and I can smell the summer. Government creating problems just to solve them, and risk appetite seems to be picking up a bit. Our guest today is President and CEO of Locality Bank, Keith Costello. All this and much more on episode number 818 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Yes, summer is upon us. Here we are entering into Memorial Day, that five months of the year already out of the way. And we've had a lot of action and activity and some really interesting things that have happened in 2023 so far that I got to tell you something. Was it expected? Mm, some things were, some things really not. I mean, the whole out of the blue banking crisis that cropped up and then seemed to peak climax and then just go away for a while. That was pretty interesting. Not expected, I don't think, by anybody. The fact is that many of the banks that are out there right now did an incredible job of collecting money from all the people that were really nervous and scared and thinking, you know what? Well, not only do we have a banking crisis, but we have a debt crisis. And we're going to default. And, you know, what's going to happen with treasuries and our CDs are going to go under and FDIC isn't going to cover me and all the things that were very upsetting to a lot of people. Well, that seemed to, at least for now... Calm down. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. So glad you're with me this week, each week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thank you for all the, the nice comments, the emails that you send me. You could always get in touch by going over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com and clicking on the contact or ask Andrew or anything there. We'll get your questions answered. We'll get your information out to you, whatever you want about what we do, how we do it on the show, or what we do in our real life, which is manage money, invest for people like you, whether it's your IRA or rollover, whether it's your individual account, whether it is a trust, an inheritance. That's what we do for clients each and every day. And that's how we bring the information to you because we're living it, breathing it, and dealing with it on a daily basis. So therefore, the data, the ideas that we come through and talk to you about on the show each week are relevant. So that's something to think about. Now, we know that there has been 
a serious situation. We're going to leave it at that, right? I mean, a pretty serious situation that flared up. We talked about this with the regional banks. And um, that, that's something I really want to focus in on today. I really want to get into the idea and focus in on the banking industry. And particularly, I was thinking someone who've known for a long time, I could bring on and talk about what's happening at the ground level. At the level, not at you know, the mega banks, the too big to fails, but the small guys, the new startups, the the banks that that really are out in the community and deal with the people out there and see what they're feeling. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to discussion about regional banks. I have a lot of questions for Keith. So um, one, because one of the things really, when, when you really think about the banking area, and especially the local banks, right, the regionals, communities, there's been a lot of speculation recently that the longer-term impact on the economy from what happened with Silicon Bank or uh, Signature or what's going on with PacWest, these situations are going to come home to roost because it's going to potentially do things like slow the growth of, of loans or our higher lending standards that's going to come out. And we have to ask ourselves, does that actually mean anything to the economy? And what does the impact of this mean if, in fact, we're just going to have a backstop by the Fed and the idea that interest rates, while high right now, maybe are not going any higher? Maybe. Although I have a different opinion on that. I think that all the numbers that we've seen right now are not really going into anything more then potential disinflation, but still seeing a very high level of inflation and higher prices and why company after company is beating on revenues. But yet their earnings are just a little bit higher. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, does this impact us in a way, me and you? How, how does it impact our stocks? Does it impact certain areas and not others? Right now, I mean, at the moment, it appears that no one really cares too much about the longer-term impact of less loans. And I got to tell you something, when we see that right now, at this moment in time, that we are seeing historically high debt and personal debt, consumer debt, that was reported last, what, a week and a half ago. That's something to really think about, that no longer do people have the luxury of utilizing money that they have in savings, but what's happening is that they're utilizing debt in one form or another, and less so in the mortgage area because people just are stuck. Who wants to move out of a place that you have and sell it to move into another place that you're going to pay a 3% higher interest rate than you're paying now? Makes no sense, especially if you have all, a lot of cash in there or all cash. If you're a cash buyer, why are you going to go, you know, really ramp, ramp up and, and add to uh, your house for the higher price that you have to pay now and potentially have a new mortgage at the higher levels. So I don't know. It seems to me that it appears that no one really is concerned about the longer term impact, or maybe even perhaps say it said a different way. Maybe a lot of investors are, are trying to <laughs> trying to see right through it, right beyond the area of the impact or hoping that's what they're going to see. But either way, there are implications. There are implications about what is happening in the banking industry. And surely Congress is going to get their nose in there and do something in the regulatory environment. And that's going to be problematic. So it depends, I mean, on the time frame we have, is it going to be a crisis, an issue, a concern, or maybe not so much? Is it 
on a three-year basis, five-year basis, 10-year basis. Something that we really have to look at and, and think about, and, and, and I guess we'll get into talking with our guest about. And our guest is Keith Costello. He's the president, CEO, and co-founder of Locality Bank, a new digital first community bank, which opened in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on January 12th, 2022. Interestingly, it is the first new bank opened in South Florida since 2009. Now, Keith served as the president and CEO of First Green Bank, a community bank headquartered in Orlando, Florida from 2016 until its sale in 2018. And he was also president, CEO, and the organizational director of Broward Bank of Commerce, a new bank that was chartered in Florida in January 12, 2009. So look, there's two of them that he opened up, and I think it was the last one and the latest one. He has held senior roles at Bank of Florida, City National Bank, National Bank, throughout his 30-plus-year banking career entirely in South Florida. He lives in Fort Lauderdale. I know him personally for, it's got to be, 30 years. So let's welcome him. So, Keith, welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast. Appreciate you uh, coming on board today. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. You know, people don't know this, but we've known each other a really, really long time. Sometimes I forget. I'm that. not. I'm not that old. I don't know about <laughs> you, but <laughs> I, I think we've known each other from the '90s. Yeah, that's true, man. Way we go back. back. We go back a while. Yeah, we do. Good stuff. So you have been, and I've always always known you as uh, an entrepreneur, a a guy that's a mover and a shaker in terms of the banking industry, because you've always had forward thinking ideas, and and you can see that from the footprint you have left on the banking industry and the banking landscape, particularly in South Florida, right? So so let's kind of go back for a second, because I want to set the stage a little bit. You founded. Um, Two banks, but I want to go back to 2009. The last bank that was created, um, the first new bank opened in South Florida was 2009, and that was First Green Bank. Tell me a little bit about the process that you went through and and some of the things you did to get that started and, and what that bank was all about and eventually where it went to. Yeah, sure. First, that was actually Broward Bank of Commerce was the bank that we started in 2009. Oh. First Green was... When was First Green? First Green was 20 and I, well, let me, I'll get into that because that's like the next bank and it's kind of, yep. so, so 2009, right? So, so I was working at, um, 2007, I was working at Bank of Florida and, uh, you know, so I, I was always kind of an entrepreneur stuck in banks. <laughs> and so I had actually gotten fired from Nations Bank back in- oh the nineties because I got involved in an outside business and, you know, didn't clear it and, uh, and, and got fired. So, you know, at that time I was devastated, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because then I started getting into uh, community banking, started really understanding banking. So I'm 2007, I'm at, at bank of Florida and, uh, which was a bank headquartered in Fort Lauderdale. It was like a who's who, if you remember that, I bank remember at I the remember. time, yeah. you know, uh, Heisinger was an investor and, you know, just a who's who board styles and Koenig and all the real hitters in Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. And so I was just absolutely loving working at that bank in 2007 and about two, June of 2000 and, uh, well, actually it was beginning of 2007, a group of people in Fort Lauderdale actually came to me and said, Hey, you know, we want to start a bank and we'd like you to be the CEO. 
And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it probably is a good time to start a bank because 2007 was kind of like now, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of scared to say that in a way, but, <laughs> but it was a little like now because you, you knew something was going to happen. You weren't sure how bad it would be, but you, you had a feeling that, you know, things were not going to keep going up, 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 up forever. Right. right. So I, I started talking with these guys and I said, okay, you know, I think it's a good time to start a bank. I've always kind of wanted to do it. Listen, I'm 50 years old. I have four kids and I have two ex-wives. So I'm taking a big risk. I want to know you guys have the money raised because I'm not going out and raising money. I'm a banker. I can run a bank, but mm-hmm. that's beneath, that's kind of beneath me to go and, Pan, and ask people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't go out there and ask people for money. Yes. It's, you know, no. so, uh, so I said, <laughs> no, 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 we got the, we got the money raised. Uh, you know, we need to raise 12 and a half million bucks to get started. And, you know, it was got it all penciled in and I'm like, all right, sounds great. So, so I, I leave my job in June of 2007 and we start on this process of opening uh, Broward bank of commerce. Well, lo and behold, you know, we get out there and of course all these commitments and, and, just to be up for the record, I think all of these, I don't think anybody was lying to me about, they really felt like they had the money raised and they probably did have commitments, but they all dried up as soon as the banking crisis happened in 2008. So we're out there. I've left my job. We've got about half of the money raised and I, I'm, I'm dreading, you know, I'm fearing that we're, we're never going to get this bank open mm. uh, because people are just not receptive to investing in a bank in 2008 as, you know, Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, you know, Bear Stearns are, are collapsing. So I'm, I have nothing else to do, but I start going, I'm, I'm Catholic. I'm not like, you know, a devout, I wouldn't consider myself a devout Catholic or anything, mm-hmm. but I was raised that way. Yep. I just started going to church every day because I, I didn't know what else to do. I got down to that. I went to, huh? I went to St. Anthony's. I got down on my knees and I prayed every day because <laughs> I, I didn't know what else I would do Yeah. to, uh, I was that scary times, scary times. It was be very, very scary. So anyway, we ended up getting three big multi-million or over million dollar investors who, who came. And I think if, if, if you know, I, I believe there is a God after this. It was like, <laughs> it was like divine because and there were three people that I really didn't know, which is really weird because uh, uh, one of them, you'll know the name, mm. was Scott Rothstein. Oh, oh boy. Who invested a million and a half dollars. Mm. Uh, we took his money. He didn't take ours, mm-hmm. just for the yeah. record. We yeah. didn't get it. Yeah, if, anybody, okay. if, anybody, if, if anybody outside of Florida doesn't know that name, go look it up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's in prison for the rest of his life, yeah, by the exactly. way, just as an aside. Yeah. Uh, there was another gentleman who also invested, who, who I won't name, uh, but uh, he was a local uh, in, investor, local real estate person. Uh, and he invested over a million dollars and he was shot. He ended up going on our board and was shot by the police in a assisted suicide. So another kind of guy who came in, put a million dollars in and, and vanished. And the last was a, a gentleman by the name of Don Taft, who uh, if you are a South Florida person, you know, the Taft Center at Nova Southeastern University. Mm-hmm. So Don Taft was a gentleman who would hang out with a guy by the name of Paul Salarulo, who people in South Florida know that name. So Salarulo I was know, involved I know, I know in the his bank. wife. Exactly. Uh, Lori yeah. Salarulo also. Yeah. They're well-known mm-hmm. ex-wife actually. Yes, but, correct. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, so, so Paul was involved in the bank and he would bring this guy, Don Taft to all of our organizational meetings. And I'm like, uh, it comes time to start, you know, we're, we're getting the money raised and 
Paul says to me, you know, I said, Paul, how much are you going to do? And he told me, and, and he said, and Don's going to invest. And Don, just for the record, we'd come in in like old tattered clothes and would actually take the food sometimes home oh, from the oh events God. that we had. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's very nice. You know, this old man, he probably doesn't, and Paul's his friend. And he, he I go, how much is Don going to invest? Like, you know, five, $6,000 or something. He goes, no, a million plus. Wow. And I'm like, so that blew me away. So Don Taft ends up. And so we end up getting the money raised and it was just in time because at that time the FDIC was saying, Hey, we're not going to take any more bank applications. So in January, January 12th, uh, 2009, we opened the bank and just one other story. Um, I'm on, I'll never forget this. I'm driving on I-95. You know, we think we got the money raised. The regulators are in the office. My CFO calls. They said, yeah, the state is here and they said you're 250,000 short. And if you don't have it by noon, no. they're leaving and they're not coming back. Oh, So again, I had to make that one last, you know, $250,000 phone call, but it was uh, incredible. Then once we got open though, Andrew, it was, it was the perfect time to be open as a bank. Very difficult to start, but you know, it was a lending environment where, you know, frankly, all the bad loans had been made. You know, sure. in the years leading right. up to flushed out the system. You flushed out the system. So uh, the people who could borrow money and were were able to borrow money at that time uh, turned out to be great borrowers. And you know, and, and I want to think also at that time that we actually really helped a lot of local companies to make it through that period of time because there was you know up until like twenty people forget this. You know, the the first question I used to get as a banker in like twenty twelve was, "Are you lending?" Sure. You know, it was like, "Are you lending?" and um, you know, there were very few banks at that time that were actually lending money. So well, let's, so let's that, fast forward. Let's fast was, forward to 2023. Yeah. Sure. Are you lending? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Just checking because yeah. there's a lot of, yeah. like, got, there's something. That's a question that's being asked again, right? Right a, now. A lot. I mean, right. there's a lot of yes. that because of lending standards have gotten up. People are squeamish. Cost of funds are gone up a lot. But I want to get back to something though, because I've always been curious about something and maybe we can, if you can, what is, what is the return on investment? Potentially, not exact, you know, but generally speaking, what has been your experience with return on investment of, uh, let's just pick a number, $100,000 investment in a bank that's eventually sold? And what, what do you, what, 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 and, and what's the interim, um, whether it's dividends or, or, or otherwise, and then what's the eventual, you know, uh, end run uh, ROI? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So, so. I'm going to just take it in little bits. So, so let's just say as an operating business, mm -hmm. a bank's return on equity, you know, a, a, a normal bank, probably about 10% return on equity and, you know, maybe a 1% or a little bit higher return on assets would be mid range. Right. Mm -hmm. Now there are banks and, and I will also say, you know, so as an operating entity, there are a lot of banks who are $300,000 banks who have a much higher return on equity than the, than any of the large banks. Okay. Uh, community it? banks. If you find like, what is that magic number that you need to get to in terms of asset size where the scale doesn't matter anymore? Mm -hmm. It's actually about $300 million in assets. So it's a million. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not that big. Right. right? right like right. we're at 130 million right now. We just opened. So, you know, so once you get to 300 million, and this has been actually, there are studies that the FDIC has done that have verified this information, you know? So, so the benefits of scale and banking are, are overrated. Um, 
to be to be frank. So let's, know, just, really let's, let's, call more, the, let's call the sweet spot three hundred million, just as a number, just as a round number. The sweet okay. spot, yes, is well. I would say you know there are banks that are larger that also do well, but I would say those benefits that those banks are gaining are not because of scale. Right, the, the law, of, the, law of diminishing returns, right? You know, where you get, you know, how much more staff you're going to have to put on, how much more you're going to do, and what is the return from that point? So I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, okay. your, your return is much more at that point is going to be determined by your line of business. And uh, and you actually, you're just like any business, right? The management team. Right. Like, sure. how good is the management team? How good are they at making money? How good are they at defining, defining uh, the need in that community or in that market that they're operating in? Uh, in terms of of being able to provide business. All right, so going back to your original question, so that's as an operating entity. So go back to your original question, which as an investment in a bank. So so we actually, when we did our uh, pro formas and we talked to investors, uh, what we uh, did was we sketched out a 10-year, we told people, this is a private investment. You should be prepared to hold it for at least 10 years. And if you're not, please don't invest mm -hmm. because they're, yeah, if you have to sell sell too soon, uh, you're selling an illiquid minority yeah, position in, in, a, in a company, right? right. In a private yeah. company, sure. so you're gonna get you're gonna get discounted, mm -hmm. and you're gonna lose money. And I guarantee you, you will lose money if you have to sell before the ten years. Sure. Or don't guarantee it, but mm -hmm. it's highly likely. highly likely. <laughs> yeah. so, right. So, uh, so what we said in terms of a return. So our goal is to be able to uh, become profitable. Uh, this year. So in our second year, break even. Mm -hmm. And we project we'll break even and that by the end of our third year, we will have made back the majority of, you know, because we operated a deficit for, you know, six or for the first maybe 18 to 20 some odd months. And then over the next period of time, and the three years I'm using is called the de novo period for a bank. And it's also a period of time where when you start a new bank, you're under very heightened regulatory scrutiny. So during that first three years, uh, the regulators are, we have to stay very focused on a business plan. We can't go outside of that business plan without regulatory uh, non-objection. So as we, as we sketched out our plan, we said, okay, three years, we'll make back that original capital. So if you're looking at book value, we start at $10 in, a share, mm -hmm. we would be back to that original $10. We'll make that back in three years. Over the next seven years, we projected we would have at least a 10% return on equity. Now, even at a 10% return on equity, um, the returns, um, it, and we frankly believe that with our model and with our, um, and, and as and I can get into the model, but it's it's much more of a digital model than the traditional brick and mortar real estate, lots of people uh, type of model. So we we've designed this to be a much more efficient uh, structure than a typical bank. So we really believe we'll be able to hit a twenty percent return on equity. But to get back to you know the line of questioning, so in ten years we would expect with those types of of projections that I gave you. It would be a seven to eight x return on investment. Really? So I yeah. give you a hundred thousand, I get back seven hundred thousand. Yeah. Wow. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, which is actually over a twenty percent you know, internal rate of return, which right. is which is a good. Now, and is that normal for banks? Um. So, so what's normal for banks? So, you know, I've had returns like uh, with. So I had two banks. 
and they've had different returns in both both of those. So I would say based upon, you know, one was higher and one was lower. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you've had banks where, you know, there's been all kinds of situations. We had banks, you know, obviously this assumes that there's no, you know, devastating, you know, t- 2008, nine occurs, you know, all bets are off, right? You restart, hope you don't fail and, you know, march ahead. Um, so there's all kinds of things that can occur in banking, but let's take a quick break for a moment. And I want to, uh, bring in a discussion of interactive brokers. So I want to talk to all of the financial advisors out there. And I want to ask you what you're doing about your business, because maybe you're thinking about, well, just simply adding or switching a custodian. Maybe you're going independent. There's a lot of reasons why you may want to think about Interactive brokers, because they provide lowest cost trading and turnkey custody solutions for all size firms. You know, I use them. And there's a reason. Because you could trade globally from a single unified platform with no ticket charges, no custody fees, and no minimums. You don't have any of those tech platform or reporting fees. Plus, IBKR has no advisory team or prop trading group that will essentially compete for your clients. You gain IBKR CRM, it's free. Their portfolio management and their trading platform plus portfolio analysts. This is something very significant because these are very powerful platforms that can make the the process of working with your clients so much better for you and your client. And automated, flexible client billing, automation, It's all there. Switch to the custody solutions that work for you at ibkr.com slash RIA. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Check them out. ibkr.com slash RIA. Now let's bring it back to a discussion about uh, profitability. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? I mean, I guess, like you said, it's all about how the management you deal with, uh, you know, loan origination, um, you streamline in terms of uh, cost factors with regard to not only employees, but also overhead, overhead in general. And if you're going the digital route, as long as the, you know, you can estimate how long, how much the the cost factors are involved for the digital, whether it's using like a plaid or something like that for, or those kinds of companies in the background. You don't have your whole, that's what you're using, right? Something like that. Well, we use, we use plaid. We use a lot. Yeah. So we have a main, we have one main uh, technology company that we've partnered with, mm-hmm. which is called Nimbus. Yep. They are a non-traditional bank company. I say non-traditional, they really have, uh, you know, they're the traditional providers are basically Fiserv, FIS, Jack Henry are the m- most well-known. They're huge mm-hmm. companies, publicly sure. traded. Sure. And, you know, when you're on the other side of that relationship, it doesn't, you you lack any type of ability to uh, negotiate or have any power whatsoever. It's a very, if, if you're a small bank and they're um, monsters. So we decided to go out and really, and, and they're not particularly, it's the technology's not really good. It's, it's off the shelf, it's old, and they haven't really kept up with uh, the type of technology that you see with FinTech. So our goal was we want FinTech type technology. Mm-hmm. We want to be, look, feel like a fintech, but we want to be a bank and we want to also offer the things that a good community bank offers, which is 
you can call the CEO, you can come in and see us, you could sit down if you want to and have a cup of coffee. So we've got all that old fashioned kind of touchy feely relationship, but you don't want to come see us. That's fine. You can do everything on your phone, uh, on your laptop. Um, and our technology is great. It's uh, it's cloud-based open API architecture. So we're constantly adding and iterating and changing the way uh, that our technology is set up. And most banks can't do that. Most banks are stuck with really having to write code, go back to their core provider. It's a cumbersome, expensive process for them to adapt anything new. And that's why they don't do it. Right. Let's go to let's go to the whole lending issue. Let's fast forward for a second and mm-hmm. let's talk about where we are today. Right. We we start out mentioning what happened back in you know 08, 09, even into 10 and throughout those years about are you lending? Uh, there was a senior loan sur- officer survey that was out, I don't know, a couple, three weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, it talked about that there was some concern about the latest tightening of conditions and tightening of lending conditions within the banking industry. And, you know, what, what I, what, what I know about banking is this, that as long as we can sail away with just happy thoughts and everybody's going to pay back, everybody's happy, right? It's great. We'll lend out money. We'll get a decent rate of return. And, and, you know, we keep our, our loss run rates low and we're, we're happy. You know, it's a good, it's a good time. There's other things we can, can, can get money from like overdraft fees and various different kinds of deals we do and all that good stuff. Right. And the, obviously the spreads between, well, when, when it was like this, when it was, we had a reasonable yield curve, we get the spread between long and short for the lending and for the, um, for, for the deposit base. So the thing is though, that there's an awakening often, you know, in throughout the cycle, there's always cycles, right. And through the cycle right. there's an awakening. The awakening is holy crap. You know what? Defaults are coming up a little bit more. People are losing jobs, which are not yet, but I'm saying, you know, this is the, the, the cycle. Uh, and then banks are like, you know, well, you know what? We can increase that um, that rating we need to have on the uh, whatever you're using for a totality benchmark of the individual of what their payback potential is, right? Whether you're going to use just a FICO score, or you're going to use just, you know, or, or a whole bunch of other things, right? So, so. Where are we with that? Is there a concern that maybe there's going to be a tightening in the landscape? And how does that differ maybe from a boots on the ground, local one branch bank that's just starting out? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think with what's going on in banking right now, you know, there's a lot of things that are playing into this, uh, cons- you know, why why are banks, uh, you know, holding back a little bit? Um, so I think first and foremost, is this goes back to that same thing that we felt in 2007, which is, you know, with the interest rates uh, increases that we've had, you know, from the Fed and, and the sense that the economy may slow down, we may go into recession. So um, it, obviously, you know, banks do great when the economy does great. They don't do so great when the economy does not uh, perform well. So if we go into a recession, naturally more businesses are going to have problems. There'll be companies that, you know, may not be able to continue to pay their loans. So that's always a concern. So you try to, to, to make sure that your standards are a little bit more, uh, more stricter and that you're taking that into account. We like to look, you know, when we're dealing, we're looking at loans now. I mean, if somebody made it through 2008, 2009, and they're still around and they're still in business today, that's a pretty good bet that they're going to uh, continue to be able to, you know, those yeah, are smart people. Sure. 
they 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 know how to get through a crisis. It's uh, and they'll probably get through whatever happens again. Yeah. But you don't always have that. Sometimes you know, you've got newer businesses you're looking at, and uh, and those are more difficult decisions to make. So we just try to structure things so that um, so that we can make sure that in the event that something does happen, that that the bank is protected. Uh, our, you know, our number one goal is always to try to, if there is a problem and there's always problems in business, even in good times. And that's one of the things that we feel like we do offer that you may not find if you're dealing with, you know, a much larger institution is that, you know, somebody has a problem, you know, come in and let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. I mean, and you know, a lot of times those situations turn into litigation instead of, you know, you know, you're having a business problem. You didn't do anything. You know, you didn't commit fraud. You didn't uh, do anything illegal. Come in. Let's talk about it. We can fix it. We can solve that problem. Yeah. All right. So so let's talk about the difference between, I mean, where's the, where's the, where is that line in the sand, right? So it seems to me that we have the two big to fail banks. We know those names, right? That are just, and, and by the way, there was some philosopher, some, some, some spiritual somebody that said once upon a time that if I die and if reincarnation is real, I want to come back as a bank. Because, you know, it's just like uh, you got, you know, and, and you've read the book. Uh, I had him on as a guest twice, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I've had him on as a guest twice. And wonderful wow. discussion uh, about, you know, where it all started with Rockefellers and all the things back in the day and all that was going on. And, and, and what was created was the Fed, which I have a real problem with the Fed personally. That's me um, with some of the decision making and how they do things. But you got those two big to fails. Okay, you got that whole genre. We'll leave them out for a second. Then you got the kind of, we'll call them the regionals, right? The super regionals. Let's go to the super regionals first. And then you got the more local regionals, but then you got, you know, communities. It seems to me that I, I've had experience and, 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 and full disclosure, by the way, um, you don't know this about me. I have never borrowed money for business. This is not like a pat on the back to me. That's not the point. I'm just telling mm -hmm. you, it's not my model. Never borrowed business, yeah. never borrowed, never borrowed money, um, in, in modern times, you know, not like when I was first starting out and I had a couple of credit card bills that I had to like move on month to month to get things going, but never borrowed money from anyone to expand. I always use cash out of pocket, which may have been, by the way, the bad move, you know, not to mm -hmm. leverage it further, but it's just a much more comfortable. But also the other thing was that I've had experience with banks when I talked to them back in the day. It was like they didn't want to bother with the fact that I wanted $100,000 to do something. You know, I talked about it. And I just said, okay, I'm not dealing with this. But on the other hand, the smaller banks, there's where the opportunity lies for small businesses, right? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when you start talking about, you know, a lot of people, and, and you know, we talk, we've talked about this. Like, do we need, you know, 4,000 banks in the United States? You know, there's only five in Canada. There's only, you know, we're the only country in the world that has that many banks, I think. And- you know, but you also have to say, okay, we're also the most entrepreneurial country in the world. Mm -hmm. And we also have more, more people coming here. I mean, Elon Musk wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the ability to create and start companies. Right. And, right. you know, not that community banks are creating all that, but that's part of the strategy. It's our legal system. You know, it's our, our capital markets, but it's also these small banks that are throughout the country where you can walk in. And, you know, you, you might not uh, qualify, you know, first of all, you might not even get seen at a big bank, right? Well, that's, the, that's what uh, I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that my experience has been, I could tell you time and time again, different experiences. One of them, when my daughter had a, 
uh, refinance her loan, it was just a real problem, bank by bank by bank. It was a real problem. And then we tried to resolve it with a um, credit union. That was the only one that would take her due to her, she's, she has disabilities. So so um, she she wanted her own house and her own mortgage and all that. And it was, it was, it was a nightmare. I'm just telling you, it was a nightmare. Till finally I put the screws to them because I knew them. I'm like, look, you promise this, you do this. What's the story? They're like, you know what? We can't get this under, you know, uh, Fannie Mae. We can't get it under Freddie Mac. We can't get it under any of these deals because of this, this, or this. But we'll just buy it back and take it ourselves. And they approved it. 2.75%, by the way, on a mortgage. That was awesome. But that yeah. was like the, the last one of its kind. Point, though, is the other banks wouldn't touch it. I mean, it wouldn't even get near it. So how do people, you know, what do people do? Well, I mean, I think um, that's why I'm a big proponent of of community banks and of of the number of banks that we have in this country. You know, you hear people say, oh, you know, the community bank systems you know, is irrelevant. We don't need these small banks. Now, the truth is we do need them, um, you know, and I think it's more, you know, I think for the most part, like a lot of the needs of consumers are pretty much taken care of because, they're not complex for the most part. You know, people borrow money for a, a mortgage. Basically, that's all been taken over by non-banks, you know, for the most part, that that industry of residential mortgage lending. Um, but but a lot of those simpler transactions have been, uh, are able to be done very efficiently by large banks. You know, but when it comes to business lending and looking at a business and actually helping a business owner get to a point where they can become profitable or to be able to uh, expand their business, yeah, that's another level of service and and it's it hasn't risen it may at some point be able to be done by you know with ai or some of these things that are coming but today it isn't and today it does require a lot of hand holding it requires people to sit down and talk with you and guide you and help you um well it's like you're so, you're, you're 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 like a shark tank unto, unto yourselves you know you have a business yeah, well, coming in right well, we would we would uh welcome that description actually <laughs> i like that so we have to end it right there Thank you, Keith, for coming aboard. I know you have to cut out. We're going to just uh, let you go because we had a 30-minute hard cut on that discussion. So we're going to let that just um, just uh, end right there and thank him for that. And we'll yeah, maybe come back and talk about some other things. I have a few other things on my list about FDIC and what the future of banking look like. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that over time. But I really wanted to really get the idea because there you have it, the whole essence of of the banking industry that you don't always hear about, right? We don't we don't talk about the local banks and what's happening with the 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 the, the guys and the gals that are in the banks dealing with businesses, consumers that are not your regular way of doing business, which is just simply going up to the ATM, putting your money in, dropping your check off, scanning your check from your phone or whatever else may be with that. The fact is that right now, here we are in a much different world where you have much more choices. And some of the things that I really want to get into about what is a community bank, what's happening with the uh, the profitability factor of it, and, and what do they really do, I think we, we got to. And interestingly enough, I think what was really interesting here was the idea that there's really no pullback in lending going on, even though standards are picking up. And that's what he had to say. Now, there's a lot of other things going on in the banking industry, right? We have things like in the UK, there's a new scheme to go back to 
the days of 100% financing. Remember that, where you can go and buy a house and get a mortgage, the house is 100,000, 200, 300, whatever your number is, and then what's happening? Well, you're going and you are taking that $100,000 and uh, mortgaging $100,000. No money down, no skin in the game. And this is a select tester that's going on in the UK right now, but I didn't think we were ever gonna see that again. It didn't occur to me that we were gonna go back to the days of when we would see 100% financing. That is amazing. So with all the interest rate risk that's going on and why does we have to question why some banks got in trouble and why some banks didn't, it's just part of the business structure, right? Many companies in various areas, whether it's food and beverage or maybe it's uh, apparel, could be sectors that are in biotechnology, just couldn't get to where they need to be. They failed. And maybe what's happening right now is a healthy flush of the forest. You know, what they say is that a forest every once in a while needs time to burn down areas that are overgrown so that new things can blossom and bloom. And that's where maybe we are right now in select areas of the banking industry that got hurt. Now, sometimes those flames jump the street and get into areas and to things that are sturdy and strong and maybe affect them in a way that's problematic. And what we have here now, from what I can see, is probably some... Kindling still burning a little bit. The winds will pick it up every once in a while. Sparks will fly, and we will see some further contamination of certain areas of banks that too, took too big of a risk and didn't really manage their book correctly. I think the profitability of the sector long-term is probably still strong. Don't forget, they, they get to leverage up ungodly amounts of money in the loan side of it, and that's pretty interesting when you think about how the banks work and how they actually make money. And the regulatory environment, probably going to also get a little bit stricter with regard to the, the, the assets maybe that can be owned, the, the leverage ratios, et cetera. This is something that we see every single time there's some kind of crisis or issue that arises that the, the politicians will get involved, not knowing really what they're doing, but they will get involved nonetheless. And what they will do is they will regulate that's what they think that is their claim to fame is to put their stamp on, their foot down, that this will never happen again to protect the consumer, which in fact sometimes backfires, particularly when they do it in the banking world, because if you do too much regulatory action when it comes to banks, it hurts the consumer. Now, whether FDIC is going to require additional funds, and maybe it's going to be coming from the super regionals or maybe even the, the mega banks. The fact that I see is it would be kind of interesting to have the 250 stay as it is, maybe jump it to 500, add a little fee to the whole deal. And maybe if you want further amounts of uh, coverage as an individual, as a business, you buy that for the small amount that it costs. You do that with insured bonds versus non-insured bonds. You pay extra for higher quality when it comes to companies. So why not, if you want that extra added level of security, put it on yourself? Insurance, that's what we call it. Something to think about. Anyway, again, summer's here, so let's get out of here early. Hopefully you are uh, not frying too much in the sun right now as you're listening to this. You're out there doing something fun, though. I want to thank you again for joining me this week. Sorry we had to cut it a little bit short there as time did run out on our interview. Uh, we'll pick it up with Keith in the future. But thanks for joining me on the Discipline Investor podcast each and every week. 
I'm out of here. Thanks so much for joining me. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.